Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. Well, we want, uh, we've been talking about walking in newness of life and what it means, what are some things about the new life in Christ that we have. And two weeks ago, our message was on how the renewed mind thinks and that when we renew our mind, the purpose of renewing the mind, it says that don't be uh, conformed to the world, but be transformed by the what? By the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. And that the purpose of renewing your mind is not so that you can get smarter, so that you can win a debate, so that you can get a degree. The purpose of renewing the mind is so that you can prove or put on display, or provide irrefutable proof of what the will of God is on the earth. And that Jesus really sums up, in a very short few sentences, what I like to call the guiding principles, or just kind of like like the, the two lines on the road of what the will of God is. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that heaven is our model. Heaven is what we look to. When we look at earth and we see something that doesn't line up with heaven, we need to think, okay, what do I need to do to bring heaven into this situation to change it? When Jesus talks about, you you read in the Gospels and it says, Jesus will say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When we, we think of the word repent, repent is very similar to renew. But repent, you know, a lot of times we think of the word repent, what do we think about? Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. Oh, God, I'm sorry. That's not repentance. That might be a legitimate expression of repentance, but that's not repentance. Repentance literally means to change your mind. It's the Greek word metanoia. It just means to change your mind. So when Jesus says, now in changing your mind, you may end up at the altar. You may end up repenting. But just because you do that doesn't mean you've actually repented. So to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus is basically saying, I'm on the scene, the thing is here, I'm bringing a new reality with me, and if you don't change the way you think, you're going to miss it. And that that he brings this reality of the kingdom, which is where the rule and the influence of the king comes into the realities of life and changes things. And he says, I want you to change the way you think so you don't miss the kingdom. See, a lot of times we, we, uh, we, we think about things, and if you remember in the book of Isaiah, I think it's chapter 55, God says, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. He says, my ways are not your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts, and my ways higher than your ways. So if you think about it, that God's thoughts are just a little bit better than ours. Right? Just a little bit. No, a lot of bit. A lot of bit. He says, as the heavens are higher than the earth. So if you read the book of Amos, one thing Amos says, he says, how can two walk together unless they're agreed or unless they're in agreement? So if we're going to walk with God, if we're going to work with God, 
and we don't think like God thinks, and we don't do things the way God wants to do them, we're going to go like this. So repentance, I like to think of it like this. Repentance is literally exchanging my thoughts for God's thoughts. That I go to God's Word, I go in prayer, I ask the Holy Spirit, what do you think about this? What does your Word say? And he says, well, my Word, Fred, says a little bit different than the way you think. And when his Word says this, and the way I think says this, if I'm going to repent, I need to change this thought, turn it in, and exchange it for the way he thinks. That's repentance. You want to live a life of daily repentance. So when you say that, people are like, well, I've got to be at the altar every day. No, you don't need to be at the altar every day. You just need to be open to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to start renewing your mind. Getting in the Word. What's God's Word say? How do I think about this? The two agree? Good. Moving to the next one. What's God's Word say? What, what do I think? Oh, they're different. I need to change that thought. And that's all repentance is. I'm continually exchanging my thoughts for His. As I begin to think like God, guess how I'm going to start acting? I'm probably going to act a little bit different, right? My walk's going to be different. My talk's going to be different. Things are going to start changing in my life. I'll eventually get to that point where I can prove, put on display, God's will on earth. So we've talked about a lot of things over the last few weeks. Uh, we started out that when you get saved, when you accept Jesus, your old man, what happens to him? Uh, I know the ladies were paying attention. Nobody's in the house but the first three rows. Your old man dies. It says We looked at numerous scriptures that says that when Christ died, we died with him. When Christ was buried, we were buried with Him. When Christ was brought back to life, it says we were made alive with Him. When He was raised, we were raised with... Oh yeah, you guys are getting it. Okay, raised with Him. So we died with Him, we were buried with Him, we were raised to life with Him, we were resurrected with Him. And so I kind of want to pick up here today because there's something that sits between being resurrected with Him and working now with Him that kind of sits in between the two that really has to do with the way we think. So that if we don't think right about certain things, we're not going to be able to move to this next thing of working with God. A lot of people work for God. Our job is not to work for God. I want you, you know, that might sound blasphemous, it might sound heretical, but we're going to look today that God is calling us to work with Him. Last week, we, or two weeks ago, we talked about the, this concept of co-laboring, that Jesus with the disciples, you know, He lets them participate as He's breaking the bread, as He's feeding the 5,000, He's breaking it, putting it into their hands, as they're passing it out, it's multiplying. He calls them into this lifestyle of co-laboring. And so I really want to touch on, on a little bit on the mind today, uh, a little bit on co-laboring, that's what we're going to get to, and then this thing of, of John 15 that's called being a friend of God. And uh, so we'll kind of go look at that, look at a few passages, and at the end of the day, you're going to be blessed because it's God's Word, 
and you're going to grow. That's what I hope for today. All right, you guys ready? All right, working with God. I want to start in Colossians chapter 3 today, verses 1 through 3. What was that? Little little ringtone? I couldn't answer the phone because I was dancing. The guy's alive. Wake. There we go again. All right. Colossians 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, it says, Since, now some translations might say if, but it really means since, because we died, we were buried, we were raised again. It says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, Set your sights on what? The realities of heaven. Since you've been raised with Christ, since it's an accomplished fact, it already happened, past tense. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. See, when Jesus says repent because the kingdom is at hand, he's saying I'm bringing a new reality with me, and I realize that what you think is reality is really not reality. And when you start looking at things of the earth, they might seem like reality, but what's really the true reality is what's real in heaven. And he says, I want you to set your sights. Some translations say, set your affection on things above. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Anybody ever uh, played with a, a virtual reality headset? Huh? Who's, who, who's used VR before? Or who knows what VR is? Virtual reality. So my brother-in-law, he, he develops some VR games. And so it's really amazing that this VR, you can put it on your, your head, and when I'm in this VR world, it seems it's realer than, than life. Like, I turned into this Chinese slicing, chopping guy. Like, you would think I was Mr. Ninja. Like that. Or I, I was like the best chef. Like, I was Emerald. I'm cooking and little bam here. And man, I, I was cooking up all kinds of good stuff. But that wasn't real, it was virtual reality. And see, sometimes when we focus so much on things of earth, they can seem really real. But they're not real. What's real is in heaven. Heaven is always the model. That's why Jesus said, He says, whatsoever things you bind on earth will be that which is already bound in heaven. Whatsoever things you loose on earth will be that which is already bound or loosed in heaven. Heaven's always the model we work from. And so he says, I want you to set your sights on the realities of heaven. If it doesn't exist there, it shouldn't exist here. If it does exist there, it should exist here. He says, think about or set your mind to. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. This word think about, it's the same word that Jesus spoke to Peter in a negative way. You guys remember the day that Peter said, uh, Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And, and Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal, reveal that to you, but my father which is in heaven. 
It was just a few moments later, and a few verses later, I think it's in Matthew 16, uh, I think verse 23, Jesus starts telling them about all that he has to go through in life, that he's going to have to die and go to the cross. And, and, and Peter's, you know, Peter's getting a little bit of a head on him, really. I mean, Jesus just said, you're the rock. You know, you just had revelation knowledge. So Peter's like, hey, Jesus, come here, man. Remember, I had a little side conversation with you. That's not going to happen. That's not, you know, that's not the way it's going to pan out. I have direct revelation from the Father. That's just not what's going to happen. And what does Jesus say to him? It says he looks to Peter and says, Get thee or get me, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Some translations say offense. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not mindful, same word think about, you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of man. So not only is earthly thinking demonic, earthly thinking can be a stumbling block to what Jesus wants to accomplish. So here you go, walking around with your virtual reality glasses, looking at earthly things, thinking that's real, those VR glasses are only good as long as you're standing still. They're only good in this world. But what happens when you try to walk with them? You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. And he says that when you think from earth, instead of thinking from heaven, you're going to become a stumbling block to what Jesus wants to do in you and through you. So we really, really, really need to think about what we think about. That's it. We've got to think about what we need to think about. All right, I asked two guys to come up here for a minute. This just might be the message today. I don't know. Ronnie. Oh, yeah. yeah when you say, hey, we're about to go. Yes, sir, and amen. Let's go. Here we go. All right, Ronnie. Who, Hunter. Come on up here, Hunter. Everybody say, uh, hi, Ronnie. All right. Everybody say, hi, Hunter. Ronnie, you're going to sit right here. You're going to sit on this. You're going to sit right here. All right. Ronnie is God the Father. Now, he kind of looks at the gray beard. You know, I thought he'd be a good God the Father. Want to take any guess who Hunter might be? Oh, yeah. This is Jesus right here. You know, if Jesus had a body, probably would look something like this. Big, strong ox. Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor, where at? On the throne, God's right hand. So Jesus is literally sitting at the right hand of the Father. The right hand of the Father is a place of authority. The right hand of the Father is a place of honor. And he says, I want you to set your realities on what's there, Set your sights on the realities of what's there and not what's here. See, when we set our realities on what's here, what do we see? I see, and I don't want to get political, I see coronavirus. I see sickness. I see bondage. I see messed up people. 
I don't see anything messed up right here. I don't see anything sick right here. See, we're thinking down here, and I'm not, I'm not saying one way or the other, but I believe, I told Kristen that this week, I feel like Christians are more worried about who's going to rule the country than who's going to rule their heart. And I'm not saying, I, I want you to vote, I want you to vote according to what, the way God would have you, but that cannot be your focus in life. He says, I want you to focus here. What's more important? If I focus on who's going to rule my heart instead of who's going to rule the country, this will fix that. So a lot of times we think, well, I'm down here looking up here. So we're setting our sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. At the end it says, you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. That's another way to say what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. Go to the next slide. So we died with Christ. We were buried with Christ. We, we were raised to life with Christ. And it says that we were seated. Where? With Him. So all of a sudden, I'm here, and too often I get concerned with my crisis in life instead of my position in Christ. See, I need to look at my position in Christ and not my personal crisis that's going on right here. Because it says not only is Christ seated at the right hand of the Father, but guess who's seated with Him? You big enough to hold me? Right? So here I am right here. This is my position. Getting tired yet? See, so often we say, well, if it's over your head, it's under God's feet. Well, guess who else's feet it's under? It's under ours because I'm in Him and He's over it. And there's nothing in this world that's above the name of Jesus. There's nothing that He's not over. Everything is beneath Him and I'm in Him. And if you know Him, you're in Him. But too often we're in Him, but we're thinking down there. You got to repent and start exchanging your thoughts for his thoughts. Because his thoughts are way better than yours. And if you don't think like him, you can't work with him. All right, that's it. You guys can go. All right, anybody's perspective change yet? Right? You've got to stay, start taking a new perspective on things. I need to realize that I'm not just raised with Him. I'm seated with Him in heavenly places. That's my position. I don't care what's going on in your life. I do care. I care what's going on in your life. I don't want you to be concerned with it. When you get consumed, when you get concerned, when you, you, it just creates fear. It creates worry. It's a tactic of the enemy. Focus up here. All right, next slide. All right, here's our verse, 2 Corinthians 6 1. Basically says that we are workers together. So if we're going to work together with God, I've got I've to start thinking all those types of things. I need to see myself in Him. 
See, this isn't talking about working for God, and we're going to catch on this a little bit later. It's talking about working with God. Working with God. All right, let me give you the definition. Next slide. Anybody hear the English word synergy? Who's ever heard the word synergy? This is where we get the word synergy from. It comes from two Greek words, soon meaning together, and ergo meaning work. It means together work. Synergy in the English is when that two things, two groups of people, two whatevers come together, and the efficiency and the output of the group is greater than that of the individual. And that's what he's saying here, that we're coming together working with God. It means to cooperate, to be a co-worker, to put forth power together with, assist, help in work, partner in labor. A couple other translations. Next slide. Say, we're God's partners. We're God's co-workers as co-operators with God. That sounds a little high and mighty. It's like, well, I'm not, I'm, not really, I'm not really at that level. Where are you seated? You're seated in Christ. That's your position. You're not equal to God, but you're in Him. Next slide. So here's a couple of verses. And I just want to show you the use of this same word. So in Mark chapter 16, verse 20, and this is right after Jesus gives the Great Commission in Mark's version. He says, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, and these signs will follow them that believe. And then in verse 20, he says, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through accompanying signs. Amen. So in one aspect, we're working with God but in another aspect, he's working with us. See, this is, it's like a two-way street. That it's just not us working with God. And does God need my help? No. no. I get a big no. That was a big no. Heck no, he don't need your help at all. No. God doesn't need me. He created the universe without me. But he chooses me. He chooses you. He chooses to partner with us. He can do it all alone. But He wants relationship. He wants intimacy. He could do it, but He chooses not to. Next slide. So not only is co-laboring a two-way street, but here's an interesting component of this. But there's also an aspect of co-laboring in which the work of one is incomplete without the other. Think about that for a minute. To think that God's work is incomplete without me. That's huge. God's work is incomplete without me. So look at the same, uh, the same word is used in James. This is talking about the faith of Abraham, and it talks about that, that Abraham was declared righteous by faith, but when he offered Isaac, that his works and faith worked together. You guys remember that passage, James chapter 2? So verse 22 says, next slide, it says, you see that his faith, speaking of Abraham, and his actions were working together, and that his faith was made what? complete 
There's an aspect of completeness that won't happen apart from working together with God. That faith and works bring to completion. That, that working with God brings something to completion that He wants to happen. And that He works with you. You work with Him. But if you don't participate, it's not going to happen the way He wants it to happen. That's a big responsibility. It's huge to think that God would think that much of us. That God would count on us in that way. There's a great example in the Old Testament. <clears throat> Who's ever heard of Adam? Right? Genesis 1, Genesis 2, you guys heard of Adam? Who created all the animals? God did. So that every beast of the field, fowl of the air, fish of the sea, God created them all. Did God name the animals? No. Adam did. Adam named the animals. Could God have named the animals? Yeah. Did God have the intelligence to name the animals? Did God have the ability to name the animals? But he chose not to. Because from the very beginning, God was looking for somebody to work through. He was looking for somebody to partner with. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 19. Next slide. It says, Now the Lord God formed out of the ground of all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he, little h, would call them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its what? Name. See, back then, names actually assigned nature. You know, when people would name people, when you would name kids in the Old Testament, it really meant something. It had meaning. And so not only is Adam just saying, zebra, horse, he's actually assigning nature to that very thing that God created. So that God calls Adam to actually have a creative aspect in the very creation that God made. That's what God desires. He desires to do the miraculous and then bring you into it. Adam didn't create the animals, but he got to name them. God working with him. See, God wanted to use Adam to defeat Satan. He brought Adam into the world. He said, let us make man in our image and let them have dominion. And then he says, I want you to be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. Bring it under dominion. He says, I'm going to create a little heaven called uh, the Garden of Eden. And as you multiply in number, I want you to subdue the rest of the earth. God could have defeated the devil as God, and he did. But he wanted to defeat him with somebody made in his image. Man. Adam forfeits it. Jesus comes back 4,000 years later as a man, takes back what Adam lost and says, okay, I got the keys. We're back to plan A. We're back to plan A. I never aborted the original mission. The original mission is still the same. Adam just mucked it up for a period of time. But I come back, I got it back as a man in right relationship with God, filled with the Holy Spirit, defeated death, hell, and the grave, and I got the keys, and now they're back to you. And I want to work with you. But if we don't work together, 
not going to happen the way I want it to happen. All right, next slide. So Jesus talks about a very similar thing in John 15, 15. And this is where a lot of us get stuck. Now we don't, he talks about servants. Now we don't really have servants today. It's not a thing in our country to have servants. But, but he says here, he says, I no longer call you servants. Which means that at one time he called them what? Right. So if he's no longer calling them servants, it means there was a time when he called them servants. And we all, I mean, now we are to serve God. So in that aspect, we're servants. He says, I no longer call you servants because the servant doesn't know what? What the master is doing. Or doesn't know the master's business in this translation. So it doesn't mean that the servant doesn't know. Oh, it's 10 o'clock. I think the master's going to work out right now. Uh, oh, it's 2 o'clock. That's when he goes fishing. Oh, it's 4 o'clock. That's when he rides his four-wheeler. It doesn't mean that he doesn't know those things. It means that he doesn't know what moves the master. It means that he doesn't know what makes the master tick. He doesn't get an opportunity to see him in his downtime, to see him in his intimate times. That he might know certain aspects, but he doesn't really know what it is that moves the master. He says, I no longer call you servants, for the servant doesn't know the master's business. Instead, I've called you what? Friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known unto you. So this difference between being a servant and being a friend hinges on what you know. Servant doesn't know. A friend knows. And Jesus says, I'm not calling you servants anymore, I'm calling you friends. See, what you've got to realize is that everybody that accepts Jesus as their Savior has a relationship with the Father. But there's varying levels of relationship. And just because you move from one level to another doesn't mean you forget the level that you came from. So as a servant, what's a servant obsessed with? Obedient, yeah, serving. <laughs> yeah. A servant is obsessed with obedience. I say go, and he goes. I say stay, and he stays. I say jump, and he says, you guys know it, how high? How high? So the focus of a servant is obedience. Now give me some grace here because I'm going to dig a hole I don't have time to get out of. Obedience is not the highest call of your relationship with the Lord. Intimacy is. Now does that mean as I move from servant to friend that I live a life of disobedience? No. But it just means the focus has changed. See, as a servant, I'm focused on tasks. I'm focused on doing. I'm focused on checking off the boxes. As a friend, I'm focused on what can I do to further this relationship? 
What can I do to deepen this intimacy? What moves my master so that I can, can, can take what he wants to do and make it great? See, I, I went through these same levels with my dad. And if you know my dad, my dad was a businessman. And there was a time that I worked for my dad. I graduated from college and I came to work for him. And he would say, son, I want you to do this. And I'd say, yes, father. Actually, I didn't say that. I was like, whatever. <laughs> it's like, I just went to college and you're telling me what to do? Yeah, I, I had some things that needed pruned in my life. No, but he would tell me what to do and I would do it. And then he'd say, I want you to do this and I would do it. Over time, our relationship changed and I became a partner with my dad. And once I became a partner with him, and once I understood what the end game was and what we were trying to do with our company and how we were trying to serve customers, all of a sudden, he said, all right, you know what to do, now go do it. See, the emphasis changed. I'm no longer waiting for him to give me a, a list of things to do and check off the boxes. I'm now thinking, what can I do to serve the mission of my dad? And that's the difference between somebody that's servant-minded versus somebody that's friend-minded. When you move from servant to friendship, you're moving from being task-oriented to mission-oriented. And it's a difference. It doesn't mean you live in disobedience. It just means your focus is different. Go to the next slide. It says servants are task-minded, friends are mission-minded. A servant works for God. A friend works with God. See, the whole thing is here is about working with God, co-laboring with God. Not just, see, so often we think that God's up in heaven and I'm a little puppet like this. And he says, okay, Fred, I want your arm to go up like this. Oh, now your left arm like this. Oh, now your right leg. No. God's not this big puppet master in the sky. That's not how a relationship works. I mean, could you imagine me trying to do that to my wife? <laughs> she said, ha ha. Now, she's tried to do that to me a time or two. No, that's not how a relationship works. God's not up there wanting to give me a list of things. He wants me to move out of that and into intimacy. Where he can say, here's what I think. How do you see it happening? Go do it. Go do it. Servants focus on obedience. Friends focus on intimacy. See, when my heart beats for what God heart, hearts beat, what God's heart beats for, all of a sudden, I'm going to be doing things not just to check off a box. I'm going to be doing things because I love this guy. I want to serve the mission. I want to fulfill what he's laid out to do. And he doesn't say specific things. He doesn't. He, it's like my dad used to say, okay, son, here's where we want to go. I've got morality on this side and I've got legality on this side. And as long as you stay between what's moral and what's legal, 
I don't care what you do. I'll support it. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, the will of the Father is on earth as it is in heaven. Now go do something. Dream big. Think big. Don't just sit there like a servant waiting for me to tell you what to do. When you have something burning in your heart. Well, we don't have a ministry for, uh, for the 42-year-old single divorced three-time people. We'll go make one. Quit being a sourpuss about it. Tired of people wanting to complain about, well, we don't have this. We'll go make one. You're waiting for God to pull the puppet strings. Next. Anybody ever heard of a guy named David? He was a man after God's what? David, a man after God's heart. Acts 13.22 says, For God said of him, I found in David, son of Jesse, a man who always pursues my heart. David had a heartbeat for God. And so there's something I want to show you. That I want to show you this uh, couple verses in 1 uh, Kings chapter 8, and then we'll wrap it up. Because there's something amazing about David that God records in 1 Kings. So let's go there. Next slide. Since the day that I brought my people, Israel, out of Egypt, I have chosen, say this, no city, no city from any tribe of Israel in which to build a house, that my name might be there, but I chose David to be over my people. If David had waited for God to pull the puppet strings, I venture to say the temple wouldn't have been built. God literally says, when I, since I brought my people out of Egypt, I never chose a city to build a house for my name. But I chose David. You guys getting that? We literally could say, God's literally saying, I never even thought about it, but David did. But that's okay because I chose David. And that David had it in his heart to do something for God, and he did it. And God said, that's my boy. That's a good, that's such a good idea. I'm going to put it down. That's the type of relationship. I think we could even push it a little farther and say the temple was David's idea. Now David didn't get to build the temple, Solomon did. But David had it in his heart to do it because his heart was after God's heart. Look at the next two verses. Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. This is Solomon speaking. But the Lord said to my father David, whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. 
He said, that's my boy. That's a good thing. You did well. I'm glad you had that idea. And so God is looking for this relationship of friendship where, where he, he actually becomes vulnerable to the desires of our heart. That He trusts us so much because of the intimacy that we have with Him that He says, I want you to dream big. See, too often we're looking... We're looking for a list. I like, well, I kind of like, anybody like lists? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we look for these spiritual lists. The prophet Joel, Joel chapter 2. He says, when the Spirit of God is poured out on all flesh, three things are going to happen. There's going to be prophecy, there's going to be dreams, and there's going to be visions. What were they? Prophecy, dreams, and visions. When the Spirit of God was poured out on the day of Pentecost, there was fire, there was the sound of a rushing, mighty wind, and there was tongues. None of the things in Joel 2 appeared in Acts 2. And none of the things in Acts 2 were written about in Joel 2. But Peter stands up and preaches, and he says, this is that which was spoken about by the prophet Joel. It's a perfect fit. Why would he say that? Because A, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he threw away the list. He threw away the list. See, we're looking for the list. Well, it doesn't meet this checkbox. It doesn't meet this checkbox. It doesn't meet this checkbox. It must not be of God. Throw your list away. Get off the list. Dream big. You know, when we got hindered this year from doing sidewalk Sunday school. I asked our, our ministry team leaders, I said, what are we going to do? Well, this is the way we've always done it here at City. We were five years in, we already got to this is the way we've already done it. No. What are we going to do? Phil Kiefer says, let's revitalize Center Street Playground. Okay, let's do it. You know why? Because it's bringing heaven to earth. It's expanding the kingdom. So, well, we never did that before. Well, I believe the city owns that there should be a separation of the church and state. Well, that's the U.S. Constitution, not the Bible, first of all. No, see, see God actually wants you to dream and have desires and and, and so we, we see this verse in, in, in Psalm 37.4 that says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And we think God's, you know, and I probably taught it this way myself, that God's putting those desires in there. Now I'd be remiss to say that as we spend time in His presence, 
His thoughts change my thoughts, and His ways change my ways, and He shapes my desires, but not like this robotic puppet master thing where He's forcing His desires on me. No, it's, it's me being in relationship with Him and in intimacy with Him. And out of that comes these desires, and He says, yes, go do it. I want you to do something for the Lord. Don't sit on the sideline. Don't sit and say, well, we don't have a ministry for this. We don't have a time for this. We don't have nothing. What do you want to do? That's my question to you today. What do you want to do? See, it doesn't mean that God's always going to rubber stamp every one of your ideas. I mean, if He puts the big kibosh on it, it's because He's got something bigger in mind. But you got to step out and do something. Here's the question I want to leave you with today. Last slide. Next slide. And one more. What's in your heart to do for God? What's in your heart to do for God? Are you waiting for Him to give you a list? Are you waiting for Him to tell you what to do? Or are you spending time working on the relationship, on the intimacy, on the time in His presence, time in the Word, to allow that to well something up inside of you? It says, and you'll know, this is what I was designed for. This is what God created me. All right, I want to pray for you today. I actually want to pray against the puppet strings. Stand up. All of us have issues in our life. We all have things that we need to work on. We all have things that need, need broken off stripped away, all, all those things. All got pro- there's all problems, but our focus is not the earth. Our focus is heaven. Our focus is the reality of heaven where Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, the position of authority, the position of honor, the place that you yourself sit with Him. That's your position. We've got to think from there. We live from there. And when I spend my time there, my time there shapes my thoughts, shapes my my thinking, shapes my my desires. Out of that, God's going to birth something great. You know, it's just not about just this church. It's about everything that God wants to do through each and every one of you to birth something new. Do something great. So if you're here today, talked a lot about relationship with the Lord today, intimacy with the Lord. We sang earlier about having a father. If you don't know Jesus, I want you to know the Father in heaven wants a relationship with you. There's nothing else in life that matters. I don't care how big it seems. Nothing is more important in your relationship with God. 
Nothing's more important than knowing that your sins are forgiven, that you can spend eternity with Him. If you don't know for sure, I want to invite you to make today your day. Today's the day of salvation. doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been. God loves you. God will run after you. He's waiting for you. So if you don't know, if you don't know the Lord, you're not sure, I just want you to just give me a little wave, give me a little indication, and I'll, just so we can pray for you. Is that anybody here today? I just want to pray for you, if that's you. Okay, I don't see any. All right. So today, I, w- I just want to pray today that God would release a grace of creativity. A grace of creativity today that we would begin to walk in what we were designed for. Father, I thank You today for Your Holy Spirit. Lord, that Your ways are so much better than our ways. Your thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. Father, that You have called the end from the beginning. Nothing surprises You. Nothing stands out as as too, nothing's too great for You. And Lord, it's just humbling to know that you've called us into working with you when you could do it all alone. And Lord, that you call us to to come up from from that servant mentality to that of a friend. Not that we leave behind obedience because obedience is important, Lord, but you, you designed us for relationship with you. So Holy Spirit, I ask now that you would strip away wrong thinking, Lord, that you would strip away and heal whatever hurts if people were hurt by ministries before, hurt by other believers, other Christians, Lord, that you would just, through your Holy Spirit, make this a place of unity, a place of family, a place where we can experiment and experience not only your goodness, Lord, but what you've created us to do. And Father, I just just pray right now in the name of Jesus, for a grace of creativity to come upon this congregation. Lord, that that people would begin to to realize why they were born. Lord, that you would stir something up inside of them, that you would give them just crazy ideas about how to impact this community, how how to change their workplace, how to affect their neighborhood for you. Lord, we're just going to believe you for great things. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, don't forget to pray for the Steelers today. We're going for 7-0. Ravens are going down.